Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Italian Wine Podcast with me, Rebecca Lawrence, once again taking the reins from Monty Walden. And actually, it's a bit of a, not only a female takeover of the podcast, but a British female takeover of the podcast this episode, because I am honoured to be joined by Amelia Singer, an award-winning wine educator and expert on The Wine Show, which many of you, I hope, have uh, watched on TV. So, Amelia, welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So, Amelia, before we dive into the discussion that you had at Wine to Wine and maybe see if we can take it a little bit deeper for listeners to the podcast, what was it that initially drew you to the wine industry? Did you come to wine like straight out of the gate or were you lured to the wine industry from another profession? I kind of was seduced by my father into the industry. Like he is European and pretty much weaned me on wine from age six. He would always allow me to have a sip of wine before dinner and then I'd give him, like I'd have to like try and describe the flavors and he actually burst into tears age 10 when I described a Viognier as having peach, honey and apricot notes. And he's like, that's the perfect tasting note. Um, I didn't actually say that. It was very much a father-daughter thing and actually the first bottle of wine I remember sharing with him was actually in Italy uh, about four I was I didn't just it wasn't just me sharing a bottle with him it was like a family meal and I was like 14 and I was actually allowed a full glass of Amarone on holiday in Italy yeah so he kind of got me excited about wine and really thinking about wine as one of life's greatest enhancers you know we'd have these long family meals and great conversations and it's like all life enhancers like good music and good books all that kind of thing so he kind of got me very comfortable with it but it was only really when I was at university and I thought I was going to be an actress I was spending lots of time acting and singing and studying English literature but I helped set up the food and wine society there will help run it and I really loved all the wine tastings going on and it was in Dublin in Ireland and not many of my friends came from wine drinking families and but they suddenly like I just suddenly realized there I would throw these wine and cheese nights at my flat which at first everyone ridiculed me for and I was like look guys just bring a bottle of wine bring some cheese it could be baby bell who cares and uh that's just you know like have fun and that, it was when I was there I actually people started at first they ridiculed me and then they came along and they're like oh my gosh you know this is actually really fun and cool and it just made me realize gosh you know wine why does it have to be such an elitist intellectual subject it's really just about getting the right tone and messaging and communication and people then everyone can see it's one of life's greatest enhancers and at university too it was when kind of Jamie Oliver was in his prime and I really loved what he was doing with food and I remember going back my last year at uni to a Christmas party and someone talking to me about wine and I said oh, I just really hate the strict dichotomy with wine where I think it was think of it as either very elitist or they're like this pissed on three bottles of Jacob's Creek why can't there be someone like a Jamie Oliver of wine and really empower people when it comes to making decisions and this guy was really bored of my chat and said well why don't you do it then <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh Yes, it just kind of, it was, um, yeah, it was 2008, and I remember telling my father on Christmas Eve, yeah, Dad, like, I have to tell you something, um, and he's like, uh-oh, because it could be really anything with me, and um, I was like, yeah, I no longer want to be an actress, I actually want to go into wine, and he burst into tears, and he said, I'm so happy for you, I would have supported if you wanted to be an actress, but I think going into wine will make you far happier and give you a far more rewarding life, and he's right about that. <laughs> No regrets. Nice story. Oh, that's so lovely. It really makes sense because 
you are such a good presenter of wines that like the the acting training and your kind of natural ability to just make some wine something that is really approachable I think has been such a great thing like you've definitely inspired me on my wine journey to do that kind of thing to to remember that like, wine is is something that you can have fun with it doesn't like you say there doesn't have to be this dichotomy with it there can be this fantastic middle ground and talking about the food and wine pairing you actually enjoy pairing wine with music I understand so I, I wonder if you could share some pairings or some inspiration that you're particularly proud of when it comes to wine and music pair. It's, it's like I ultimately want to be considered the cross-dresser of booze because for me <laughs> I love Okay that's it everyone that's Amelia's new hashtag the cross-dresser <laughs> of booze <laughs> Because ultimately, again, it fits into that whole communication uh, thing. Like, I hate there being binaries. I hate there being strict brackets with things. And really, it's just about understanding your audience, making them think, okay, like, they might really love music. So if you talk about, you know, I love doing wine and music events, wine and art events, wine and literature events, wine and philosophy events. Because for me, it, I love it because I creatively gets me to think about wine in interesting ways and gets me re-engaged with it in like an exciting dimension. But then it's going to make wine lovers who normally think we've seen wine, you know, one linear way they see maybe favorites of theirs you know kind of in a whole new way and then people who would never normally engage with wine at these kind of events or whatever they suddenly see their art form or their interest being represented in vineyard form and so it makes them engage with wine in a way which makes them feel comfortable and excited and just kind of enhances their mind and like that for me that that's what wine is about it is it is about it is a life enhancer so the wine and music i definitely find the most i find it the easiest um out of all the cross-dressing I do. <laughs> Not to pull that quote out of context. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just because, again, I think sensorially, the way that wine and music works, you know, I always give the example, you know, so much of wine is like, you know, it's, it's smell and scent and perfume and 90% of what you taste, what you smell. It's amazing how you suddenly smell something or taste something and it'll bring up kind of amazingness, some kind of memory or remind you of something. Same thing is kind of said to be said for music. You could be walking down a street and suddenly hear a tune playing or whatever and it'll just suddenly you'll get this arresting like flashback or memory or association. So I think just in terms of how they work, I find it the easiest. Also probably because I used to sing jazz and blues and play the piano. So maybe I just, um, I, I love to work with the two. But for me, probably the the pairings I've felt the most proud of is doing for uh, genres of music, which I'm not that knowledgeable in, like really going outside of my comfort zone. So for example, I got a call two years ago to do the interpretation of Kanye West through Spanish wine in an art gallery uh, in Laguna Beach in California. So like that for me, like I really, you know, I, I, I did listen to like hip hop a little bit at school and things like that. Like, um, but it really is not a genre I <laughs> I can pretend to be an expert or connoisseur on. And that for me, it was like, it was really fun. And I really had to like think about wines and how then the wines could be represented through Kanye West as, a, as, a, as his music, but also as a producer and then how that could be reflected art and like that for me that was super super fun and again I guess more recently was actually filming the last bit of film we did for the wine show series three thank goodness we managed to film in February and managed to wrap everything up we were so lucky with timing but it was when I was in New York and I was uh, being interviewed by Jermaine Stone who has a wine and hip-hop podcast ah what one of uh one of my friends Jermaine Stone the wolf wine Oh, it's so amazing. We've done quite a few things together now, but the first time I met him was in New York for this 
wine show filming in February and I was really nervous because I was like oh my god like I'm a wine person I'm not a hip-hop person and immediately I was doing stuff with doing the thing which I always tell people never to do you know like there doesn't need to be these binaries you know blah 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 but I was really really nervous and actually he's just how he does it like he he considers himself a wine culturalist and he also is a, is a cross-dresser you know um <laughs> he would call himself that but uh, what he's doing with his wine and hip hop podcast is exactly that. And engaging with communities who would m- maybe view wine in a very set way and whatever, but he's actually really able to break down barriers. I love I love his ethos. Anyway, we actually end up having the best conversation. He suddenly played a song and I was able to tune it, like pair it with an amazing Chardonnay, which I discovered um, earlier in the day at a urban New York uh, winery with Andre Mack, who also is a hero of mine. Um, so yeah, no, it was it was really fun because I was like, oh no. And I was like, absolutely, because I just basically said, look, um, I just said to him in, in the interview, I was just like, okay, I don't know what to look for with hip hop. So can you tell me, like, break down the three things I should look for? And it's exactly how, when I do a wine tasting, I always start my wine tastings with, these are kind of my own three principles of wine tasting. I mean, they're not terribly serious. I mean, it's like swirly, swirly, sniffy, sniffy, slurpy, slurpy. But, you know, like, you know, based on those three principles, I kind of can go through the tasting. And that's effectively like he did it in his own vernacular with hip hop. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And from doing that, I could then listen to the song and then I could find the right wine. And it was just case in point how all of these things, I do consider wine to be one of the arts. They're meant to bring people together and give you joy and, yeah, see things in whole new, exciting light. So, yeah, that was for me like a really, really affirmative tasting and pairing. I really love the way that he quite often approaches his kind of music and wine pairing from this idea of the mood that is created. Like you say, this like sensorial aspect of wine is is not just in what we smell and what we taste, but it's connected to so many other things. And like he really approaches it from mood. And I think that's such a nice way to think about wine with people, particularly people who are worried that wine might be quite uh, elitist and don't know how to approach it. It's like, well, what do you feel like drinking on this occasion like what what mood are you in and we can take it from there and I think that's also like these kind of pairings these cultural pairings in many ways are are kind of the foundation of wine and we got a little bit lost from it because if you think back to things like you know the Greek and Roman appreciation of wine it was so tied in with culture so actually it's it's was always there it's just I love that people like yourself and Jermaine are are bringing it to the fore again yeah and what and it's meant to be fun too you know and I just again I think unfortunately fairly recently I mean I went into the wine industry 12 years ago because I just was like oh my gosh like why do people have to think of it as this very elitist intellectual thing and it just seemed like so sad I I do think non-anglophone countries are better at like with like kind of drinking like you know like kind of in terms of associating wine with food and good conversation and like when I think of my French and Italian and Spanish friends like how they were brought up with wine seems much more healthy than uh I would say in the England and definitely in the US oh my gosh the prohibition has a lot to answer for in this country well speaking of the US you've actually been stuck in LA for most of 2020 which I can imagine has huge pros and cons but also you must have been in within quite a the heart of social change that's going on have, have you kind of felt and seen the the impact of social change while you've been there this year I think LA is up there and probably if you're going to see the most social change and see it literally in ground zero LA would be one of the main 
cities, if not the, the you know, the real, I mean, I, I, could, I could, I can also think of Portland, I can also think, but the thing is, LA has always been known as a city for kind of protests and, you know, being liberal, being able to express yourself and, Obviously, the Me Too movement really kicked off here two years ago. And then this year, absolutely. I mean, it's just been such a tinderbox with COVID, with it, of course, being election year. I mean, that's really affected everything. It'd be very interesting to see how the media portrayed COVID if it was not election year, but that's another conversation. Um, And then, of course, the whole um, BLM movement. And where I live, West Hollywood, I mean, I had tanks outside my door i had swat teams in the neighbor's garden we had to keep i have asthma we had to keep the windows shut because of tear gas i mean it was like it was just mad it was really and i just to try and explain and and this had nothing to do with the protests these were riots these were you know kind of uh probably white men mainly taking advantage of the fact that it was a very precarious situation here and you know kind of under the cover of blm movement were actually just being thugs and smashing jewelry stores and you know all of my shops and you know the local laundrette where I go and the place where I get my milk and all of these places they all were like had to be boarded up and and they were all graffitied on or smashed up I mean there was one morning where I woke up and I was like I wonder what the landscape's gonna look like today you know it, it was literally like I was like what's gonna be smashed in what's gonna be still around so no like absolutely I think LA it is kind of an epicenter for all kind of these movements but also where I, I happened to be placed was just ground zero and I mean but then I was talking to my landlords who also live in the same kind of garden area and you know they were here in the 1990s when there were kind of protests then and they're like you know it, it is it's a very uh, tumultuous, but at the same time, very inspiring city in a lot of ways. I mean, it was it was scary. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> when the tanks started to roll in from Beverly Hills, and we had to have them here for about four or five days. But yeah, you are really on. You know, the 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 like the, you've got the front row seats basically <laughs> of these movements. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's been it's been nuts. But then also because of that, that precipitates. Again, like just with social media too, everything gets accelerated anyway. But, you know, then you see people's reactions and you see how people try and move with the change, whether that's trying to raise awareness on their social media platforms or, you know, whether uh, it's been very interesting seeing the kind of stories, even with the Court of Master Sommelier story, which you know, came out this year, like, and that was with the New York Times, like, it's not just social media accounts, it's even big publications, like, they suddenly realized, oh, no, we have this onus to be engaged and to reflect what is going on. So it, it really, yeah, things were a catalyst here, and it's really just affected the whole country. And, um, and it's just been interesting to see the coverage, the communication and the different platforms, which are kind of evolving because of it. So speaking of, of, platforms for for change and also things like you bringing up the court and the issues that are currently being brought to light I think and or or at least being focused on more in in our wine industry Um, I was really impressed in your discussion during wine to wine um, that you were talking about um, the difference between bullying in the industry and harassment uh, and this idea that bullying is is much harder to pin down than harassment and um i mean like harassment but also you can see that it's not limited to gender um 
Early in your wine career, you were talking about this um, in the session, but for those who haven't seen it, you experienced a very extreme case of bullying. Um, and often people in such situations, like they don't see a way out. Um, so I, I wondered if you could maybe talk a little bit about that experience for those who haven't had the chance to see the session and, and then maybe talk about the red flags or, or warning signs that unfortunately, you know, you are now aware of that maybe we can help make other people aware of. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I was 22 when I entered the industry. I was very green and just positive and just wanted to work really hard. And actually, the person who was a bully was female. And I think that was like very important to bring up in the session because, of course, you know, sexual harassment comes up a lot. But actually, I think systemic psychological bullying can be just as damaging. And that's what happened to me. And that can happen with a male or female boss. And for me, too, like, to be anti-bullying, like, no one should have to suffer bullying, whatever, like, age, gender, race, you know, I just don't want anyone to experience what I went through, which is why I felt like I had to say something um, on the one to one webinar when I finally had a, some kind of platform and some kind of voice. Um, but yeah, I entered, you know, I was, again, I think what also happens in the wine industry is like, there's not much money going around. It was 2009. It was a company which, was, you know, often most uh, wine companies in the industry are kind of small to medium businesses, therefore they're kind of really stretched. So I wasn't really even being paid that much. They'd actually rolled two rolls into one. You know, I really had no experience. I come straight from university. I'd, I'd done a harvest in Bordeaux, but apart from that, I you know, came straight from university. And I had this boss who at first seemed so charming and was really wanting to be my best friend and was just like, chummy, 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 chummy. And that's actually a red flag. Like, you don't actually want to be best friends with your boss, you know? And anyone who comes across as too friendly or too familiar, like, there, there needs to be boundaries there. Because already, yeah, I should have known there was a lack of boundaries and a lack of, yeah, kind of clear-cut lines. Anyway, you know, I ended up, it's a possible situation, trying to do this impossible role, working, like, getting into the office at 6 a.m., working till 10 every day, you know, for, like, pittance, like, literally, like, no money, like, busting a gut, made myself ill in the process. And, you know, she just, whenever I tried to ask for help, she just sighed, just like, ah, make out that I was, you know, really stupid. Uh, when I did do events, she would always take the credit for it. I remember pulling off this, like, big portfolio tasting for the company. And everyone else was like, oh, that was great. That was the best one. And all she said, like, she took the credit for it. And then all she said to me, she didn't thank me. She just commented on the fact that one of the wines was missing out of 300 and whatever. And that had nothing to do with me. That was, you know, the fact that they just didn't arrive in time from customs or whatever to even just, you know, we'd go out for client dinners and I am severely allergic to dairy, but she didn't want, she was too embarrassed if I said anything about like my dietary restrictions. So I remember going to um, this one restaurant in France and I'd actually called ahead to the restaurant because I didn't want to cause a fuss. I hate causing a fuss, but I'd like call them up and said, look, I'm allergic to dairy. Anyway, we sit down at this dinner and suddenly my plate comes out and it's like covered in butter. And uh, she just kind of shot me this look and she whispered to me, eat it. Because she, she just did not want me to. And I was up all night sick on and because I was 22, I did. Like, now at 34, I'm like, oh, my God. I would never have let someone tell me to, like, eat something which I knew would make me sick. You know, like, what the hell? But I did because I was so scared of her. And eventually I got – I was so ill. I was – I was I had already gone through, like, three different antibiotics. And I almost collapsed um, on our last day. Like, we were doing a marketing presentation. And then I'd organized the staff Christmas party in the evening. And I actually had to run out of the room at some stage to be sick in a loo. And, and I took myself off in an Uber to go to the doctor. And the doctor was just – like you're too ill like she way 
weighed me and she's like, lost so much weight, you know, da da da. She's like, I don't think you can go back to work. And I was like, no, I need to go back to work because I just had the fear. You know, I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I need to go and like, I'm running that office party. Like, I just like, it was almost like Stockholm syndrome. You know, I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I was so sucked into it and so terrified of her. And she's like, well, maybe you can go back for half a day, but I really just. I don't think you're well and I really I'm really worried about you and I remember calling my boss up being like look the doctor's not sure about me coming in but I can come in for half a day and she just said to me really coldly you know Amelia there's no point in you coming in I don't need any broken soldiers around me and just hung up and I was absolutely devastated and in the end I forced myself to go back after the Christmas break and the doctor had actually said I think you're actually really depressed and I think you're, you're not going to respond to these I was on my fourth kind of antibiotic had lost lots of weight hair was falling out you know like it was not a good look not a good look and eventually I I I kind of got to the point where she couldn't fire me but I was like I think I better go and I think she was just so relieved like she just like palmed off all these gifts to me to kind of made a big show of like thank you so much in front of the company but actually my last day she wasn't there and I just sent an email around to everyone in the company just being like oh by the way like uh, it's my last day you know I'll be at the pub like next door you know and I just kind of thought oh my god and I felt really stupid I thought everything I was like oh my god why couldn't I do this job I'm really stupid everyone must hate me because no one ever stuck up for me and that's also the thing with bullies too like they operate by creating this you know like this ambience of fear and power dynamics which is just so pervasive and silencing and scary and it was amazing the whole office actually turned up to the pub later that day because she wasn't there and they could like show their support for me it was so weird and they're like oh my gosh we're so sad to see you leave like you're the most positive thing in this office you know we've had 10 people leave in the last two years because of her two of them are threatened to sue because of her bullying and like racism but they only told me on my last day and so like I think this is what happens like you start when you're a victim of this you're like oh it's all me and I think you know particularly I think young women to whatever and it's your first job and like you just you know you're just like oh yeah it must be my fault why things haven't worked out and why this person is treating me this way and there was no HR resource in the company and there was nowhere really I could have gone and I think that's like a big big issue for the industry because often these small to medium-sized businesses which is how the wine industry works they don't have the capacity for you to you know and there's no way for you to know your rights and I literally I had to have a doctor tell me you're not allowed to work for this company anymore before I gave up because I because well exactly before I sorry that just shows my my mentality it wasn't giving up it was no I (laughs) was not getting out of a very very toxic potentially dangerous situation this gradual attrition of confidence ego like just self-belief you know and you that's where the term gaslighting comes into play too you know and I (laughs) It doesn't just have to happen in romantic relationships or, you know. Um, I think that, that highlights yeah. like, two really, really key points. The first is that quite often with, with bullying and also harassment, it's not like one big thing that happens. You know, it's the constant kind of picking away at someone's confidence, at their belief in themselves. Like I've um, spoken to Rania recently and Vinka um, for the podcast, and they both highlight similar things that like it just it gets under your skin. It just becomes so ingrained and it just becomes so natural that you think it's you. And like you say, you just can't you can't get away from it being you. Exactly. Yeah, it's this gradual attrition of confidence ego like just self-belief you know and that's where the term gaslighting comes into play too you know and I (laughs) it doesn't just have to happen in romantic relationships or you know um 
And I think the other thing that, that you highlighted is that there's a real lack of safeguards against some of this, particularly, like you say, the industry is set up in such a way that often these businesses are small to medium and, and there isn't that capacity to, for support. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about is the role of freelancers, because the wine industry has a huge amount of freelancers in it um, because of the way it works. And they can in particular be at risk of poor treatment, you know, whether it's in terms of pay or not being kind of collectively part of a company in the same way, not really understanding what their rights are. Um, And I think that's really concerning for our industry that that freelancers aren't really protected. No. And I mean, because our industry, it's just not a professional industry, you know, it it really, really isn't and it's interesting when Felicity Carter um, interviewed Rania and I the other week. She actually was like scouring online, being like, "What are resources for people suffering from abuse in jobs where there's no HR? Or what are wh- where can freelancers go to get answers?" And there's nothing there. There is nothing there, and it's partly she was just like how fractured our industry is, which seems like crazy. Like, I mean, the States is huge, right? Yet they seem so much more evolved in kind of having online forums and platforms and places, you know, people seem to be very transparent in how, like, I see other freelancers communicate and then, like, talk about issues like, well, this is how much I'm paid for doing, a, you know, an event or this is how much I'm paid for doing sponsored material or this is where I, you know, there are these kind of pledges going around which, you know, if you work with a company you signed up to, you will be protected against X, Y, Z. But there's not really the equipment equivalent in the UK and it's been very interesting like a real kind of positive thing which has happened from the wine bitch scandal um, has been actually the fact I think people are talking a bit more in the UK and I, I actually have a regular group of freelancers who I check in with every single week it started off just to make sure everyone was okay emotionally and just to offer support which is very important too. But then it was just like, okay, well, how do we move forward with this? And, you know, the reason why freelancers were subject to attack in Wine Bitch was because there's, there's no one to protect them. They're very easy targets. So, you know, now I've, you know, I've written that article, what I thought should happen um, in the industry. I, I wrote an article about three or four weeks ago, which appeared in the in the buyer, which was really talking about the flaws of the industry and why kind of abuse and harassment can happen at every single stage of the industry. Just getting in is so difficult if you don't have the money, if you don't look a certain way. And, and also just how do you even hear about working in wine, like right through to the end. But um, yeah, I also, the kind of solution was, I was like, you know, we need to really create some kind of platform which will probably be an amalgamation of the the kind of the drinks trust in conjunction with other associations across I actually think wine spirits beer pubs hospitality to kind of stop it being such a fractured segmented industry and actually also make sure that whatever board we have reflects more women people of color minorities they need to be represented in this area or position of power and we should also really think about what institutions are even necessary in their current form and really question that and you see that now in the states with the court of master sommelier like i really am wondering how that organization is going to thrive and what actual organizations are really benefiting people and enhancing the industry and doing good and what are actually just trying to keep this kind of this power of politics and this tyranny of silence and still operating but i mean the good news 
is like since keeping up with this group in England and since like you know my articles come out and various other people are writing about it it has absolutely put pressure on the WSAT Drinks Trust the Wine Spirits and Trade Association to really think about what they could do and I actually even just two days ago I got an email from the Drinks Trust saying that you know we're, we're reforming this platform we're, um, we've just been given a grant from the National Lottery for us to be able to form a kind of interesting platform and they're actually asking freelancers to join and be part of this platform and to actually help represent. And in an ideal world, I think it'd be amazing to have some kind of platform supported by these different associations which offer HR resources, mentorship, networking opportunities, legal advice, grants for education and internships. Um, you know, it needs to be like a kind of holistic approach. So by having freelancers join, even though there's no association as of yet, for freelancers, which we'd love and which we're working on, I think it's really, I've just like said, please, can I be part of it? Can I be part of the, you know, representative two or three people who are freelancers to really be part of this platform? So things are changing. I'm really excited about 2021. But, and, and you know, you need to have these catalysts like Wine Bitch and Quartermaster Sommelier, you know, as awful as they were, at least a catalyst to these kind of discussions and movements. Yeah, I I can completely agree with that. I think, you know, horrible as they are, like you say, they shine a spotlight on it and, you know, kick everyone into gear and go, right, now is the time. We can make the change. And one of the things I really liked about your article in The Buyer is that you kind of ended it by saying that how much you love and believe in the sector and want to be a part of it, that actually what it's made you do is want to strive harder to make the sector better, not to turn your back on it. And I think that's the really important next step for everyone is to go, no, we love it. We believe in it. Okay, let's make it better. Let's let's make the change happen. And I also think on just a very personal level, it's like I actually owe it to other people entering the industry. And like I get like a lot of people emailing me and be like, how did you get to where you do? And da, 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 da. And, you know, I think for me to have gone through that experience, and unfortunately I have been bullied elsewhere too in, in the trade and media with wine. Um, I'm like, oh my gosh, if only I'd known this in my 20s. I actually owe it to these people entering the trade. You know, if I've been pushed through all these things and I still haven't left the industry, like I need to give back. I need, you know, that then I'm actually turning a negative into a positive. It hasn't been for no reason why I've suffered the way I've suffered. You know, so that's just for me, like on a very personal conscious level, like what can I do with this? And, you know, and I always think like with whatever curveballs life throws, like if you can't, like if it does just add extra you know, experience, education, compassion, you've got to then use that and, and share it with others. You, you owe it to them, yeah, as well as yourself. So I, I'm excited. I'm excited. And I, I kind of, by being in LA too, it's been interesting, kind of almost like being a bridge between the UK and LA and just seeing what's going on here and what initiatives could be implemented in the UK, I think it is important for the industry, the wine industry, as I said, like with associations across spirits and beer and hospitality, I think we've got a lot to learn. I would love to see work being done with other industries, getting thought leaders from other industries who can also kind of maybe input and give advice how to professionalize our trade because it is just so unprofessional. So yeah, but I, I, I just think the more that discuss things openly and collaborate and promote each other and find ways to connect, which, you know, with COVID, more and more things are online. It's never been easier to do all of those things. So it just seems like now is the opportunity. And and, and that for me, it was why that piece, it was like, yeah, it's sad these things are happening and these are the obvious flaws, but I wanted it to be really constructive and positive and solution focused. 
And and speaking of uh, being positive, I'm I'm gonna c- continue and power through with uh, some positivity because one of the things that's really been making me smile this year, talking about virtual and online tastings, is your Wine Wednesdays. Now we're recording this on a Wednesday night in Verona, so it would be remiss of me not to ask you about your Wine Wednesdays. Oh, thank you. Well, th- this is a thing. Like it's, it's funny. I came out second week of March to LA with a brand new visa to do anything wine and media related. So I had meetings with Universal set up and some corporate tastings. Obviously, everything shut down. So then it's like, okay, you know, like I was like, oh my goodness, I'm living above a garage in LA, like international pandemic. I don't want to go back to the travel ban. So I don't know if I can get back in, like drama, drama. So I was like, okay, pivot, pivot. And actually one of the best, um, <laughs> uh, one of the best things actually, uh, which has come out of that, um, is doing these Instagram lives every Wednesday. Because before, I didn't think I would have had the confidence. I'm not someone who really likes looking at themselves in front of the camera. Like I, even though I love being in front of the camera, I don't actually like looking at myself. I, I'm like, oh, cringe, you know. And I wasn't someone who did a lot necessarily on my stories on Instagram live. And everything's just had to change overnight. And I found that by doing this weekly one hour session, it started off, I think, me just literally wine waffling and like talking about the okay how's everyone kind of getting through like covid and talking about like wine and netflix pairings and i think there was a sports team just playing and what people you know and just really and at the beginning of covid too everyone was on it i mean i had like 400 people just on my first instagram live like all kind of chipping in and it was just something light-hearted it actually made me feel very connected i was you know i am alone in la living above a garage oh the glam and um it sounds really sad sounds very sad i am an extrovert i do love real people in real life but actually there was something very affirmative and enhancing and it gave me like it gave me a real kick it gave me a real thrill like just like being able to talk about wine and chat to other people who are really enthusiastic and then you know I started then doing it you know every week and by doing it at 6 p.m on the west coast then you know I could still get across the whole of America and actually there were sometimes be people up like insomnia in the UK or whatever and you know it was always a delight when I saw like an English friend come on but it was then I was like oh my gosh you know I can like kind of use this like to either about wines which get me through covid or i can then link it into maybe a particular region because like I, i've been doing like online tasting so i can maybe bring some aspects of the tastings i've been doing that week clients through this like open space and i was like this is for someone like me who's all about making wine accessible this is the best you know open arena really and it's the most interactive way and the most natural way in so many ways so I've now kept up most weeks and it's interesting, like I've had different people come on, whether they're winemakers, when there was the wildfires happening, I had someone from California who was like literally right, like kind of in the, in the target zone. I've had people like Jermaine come on and do wine and music stuff, just again, just to make it fun. He's come on a couple of times. I've had people come on from local businesses in LA, like maybe wine bars or restaurants, just to kind of talk about the hospitality situation. I've recently, of course, had Rania on after our wine to wine webinar. And then I've also just used it for really personal stuff. Like when I had to pack up my grandma's house and say goodbye to this house, which meant so much, we had to put her in a home due to dementia. And like, I went through some of the wine I found. She doesn't have a wine cellar. She keeps all her wine in the laundry room. And actually, like one of my favorite Instagram lives is like when I actually like went through these like finds and it was like actually a really emotional, like personal one, but it really resonated with people. And I've actually cried on Instagram for the first time ever, which I never would have thought I'd do was when Biden was announced and I just didn't realize 
as how stressed, like as as having won the election, and there was just complete euphoria here in LA. And I just like burst into tears on Instagram, and I was like, I just hadn't realized how you know how much like this it had meant to me, um, and how much tyranny this this country had been under, um, and how now there was actual real hope for actual change, you know, and just to have that possibility. I just didn't realize how amazing it was and how much it, like everything had been weighing on me. So. Again, like I think particularly for me, which is all about making wine relatable, being engaged, you know, and, and actually really like actually having effective communication, being able to tap in with people and not just your own ego, the, having to pivot, having to do things online, doing my Instagram lives. It's actually really like, yeah, it's actually made me become, it's opened me up in ways professionally and also personally and be like, oh yeah, like, you know, you can't, I, I always thought I was myself, you know, and my brand was me, but I really have been like tested to them and really just been so open and honest and has some quite raw moments and it's just been amazing how people have been so supportive and responded and and that again is a testament to that wonderful unifying kind of element of wine really um and I've just got a really lovely online community um which sounds really sad again as I say you know I do love real life and I I love you know doing live events bring back live events please as soon as possible but um I don't think I'm gonna I actually am now for, for 2021 I'm actually thinking of how do I really capitalize on this platform because obviously I'm going to be in the UK at the beginning of the year time difference and things but I'm going to play with that kind of Instagram live model and I've already got some ideas kind of the formats I'll be doing and the kind of people I want to work with. so it's been very empowering <laughs> it was scary at the beginning but ultimately it's like yeah it's been really empowering sorry that's a really rapid answer to your question so I can't let you leave without obviously talking at least a little tiny bit about Italian wine because we are the Italian wine podcast and you know the team will kill me if we don't talk about Italian wine so I wanted to frame it in such a way um, if you were going to do a wine Wednesday focused on Italian wine what's going to be on your playlist for that night Ooh, definitely um like kind of white wines from Friuli, definitely, and kind of the northeast of Italy. I love the white wines from there, and they're so underrated. Um, I think I would also have to just have Vermentino from Sardinia because I can't drink a glass of that without smiling, and um, it just reminds me of like a wonderful summer I had in Sardinia with my friends. Um, I would also, uh, I've been doing a lot of virtual tastings, like corporate tastings, and one of the wines which I feature on my alternative Christmas wine tasting, because, you know, it's unprecedented time, you know, so therefore alternative wine. And one of my alternative wine suggestions to people for Christmas this year has been this amazing rosé, this natural wine rosé made from multiple Chiano from this brother and sister. It's called Moon Rosé. And uh, I'm going to order some as soon as I get back to England because it's just... It's kind of this wonderful pinkish orangey hue and it tastes like rhubarb and custard boiled sweets and raspberry pavlova that has like a savory herbal element. To it. It's amazing. It's amazing on its own. It's great with food. So I'd have that as like the wild card because I want to show like new wave Italian producers. So I'd have that in there. And then I think I'd have to end with an Amarone um, or Valpolicella from Allegrini because uh, yeah, Amarone is, that's the first wine I can really remember sitting down as an adult and having a full glass of with a meal with my father in Italy um, and I just think it's just such a wonderful opulent elegant stylish stylish wine so I think I think that's how I do it nice yeah. ending as well of course with an Amarone we're here recording in the Veneto so good sucking up Amelia very nicely done <laughs> 
We're like the biggest telephiles at home. We start our Christmas morning with not one, but five different kinds of panettone. Because one of my dad's friends uh, owns a a panettone factory. (laughs) So we have like Cointreau panettone, chocolate panettone, marron glass. I mean, it's disgusting. It's completely gluttonous. But yeah, we'll be having panettone for breakfast and amorone, probably followed by ricciotto. Um, uh, yeah, like, yeah, for, for our Christmas dinner. I can highly recommend pairing your panettone with a glass of Moscato d'Asti, which to me is the perfect breakfast wine. It's 5%. It's really aromatic. It's light and fresh. It's, you know, not going to mess up your day, but it goes perfectly with that lovely um, citrus, the kind of aromas that you get from panettone. The candy fruit. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's just it's just like such a joyous wine. Uh, Amelia, it's been such a pleasure talking to you thank you so much for taking the time to share your story on the Italian Wine Podcast um, so where where can people find you online for your Wine Wednesdays your virtual tastings all your content on Instagram it's Amelia's underscore wine and my website is Amelia's hyphen wine there has to be separation because otherwise it looks like Amelia's swine not a great look good point good point I'm so good glad point. my website developer told me about that so yeah like I always like on my website that's uh, like all my contact details, my latest blogs, all my latest media is posted there, as well as future events or webinars, which I'm doing. And then on my Instagram too, um, I post fairly regularly there. And that's, of course, where my Instagram Live happens, which an Instagram Live format will be happening in the new year, but it will just be at a different time and possibly slightly different format than what I've been doing this year. Watch this space. Watch this space, exactly. Exactly. Well, Amelia, thank you so much. I hope we can see you in Verona in 2021 to share a glass of Amarone together. Yes, I would love that. That's actually where I heard my first opera was I was six years old and my parents took me to the Verona Opera House to see um, Carmen and I still remember it. I was too young to drink wine, but we definitely went for ice cream in the mini. In, like They have a lot of intervals, start at nine, ends at one in the morning. And I got to see the Romeo and Juliet balcony and all of that. So, no, that was one of my earliest memories was in Verona. And I love it there. So, no, that would be wonderful. We'll get you back here as soon as we can. Yay. Fantastic. And thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful, healthy, happy, festive season. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chin chin.